I want to share a, a little testimony with you. Carolyn Miller, our children's ministry director, told me this story a, a week or so ago. Some of you may not be aware of this, but Carolyn drives several of our neighborhood kids to our King's Kids Club every Wednesday night. She picks them up, takes them home. Carolyn is totally dedicated to sharing Jesus with children. And through the ministry of Carolyn, God has brought children to his son. Well, one Wednesday night as they were driving to church, Carolyn was playing some vacation Bible school music. Now, if you think about it, only a children's ministry director or an extremely exceptional mom would still be listening to VBS music in the dead of winter. I like VBS music, but in the dead of winter, it is not happening. Well, anyway, one of the, the, one of the girls in Carolyn's van said, I remember this song. And that in itself isn't that surprising. But what she said next was incredible. The little girl said something like this. That song was from VBS two years ago. And I remember because I had just started a new school. And I sang that song on the way to school every morning. I was scared. And the words of that song helped me. The lyrics of that song stated, If God is for me, who can be against me? That's a testimony. It was a a very simple, truthful testimony of the goodness of God. Now, testimony is is a word that we hear in advertising. Somebody gives a, a testimonial to a product. People also give their testimony in court. And testimony is also a church word. I would guess if I asked you, everybody here this morning could give me a good definition of what a testimony is. Our definitions might vary a little bit, and so to kind of get us all on the same page, I went online to find a definition for the word testimony. And of course, I found more than one definition. Here are just a few of the definitions I found. The first one is, a testimony is a formal written or spoken statement, especially one given in a court of law. been watching the news at all. Congress has been overflowing with testimonies over the last month. Here's another definition. A testimony is evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something. Let me give you an example to explain what that just said. His blackened finger was a testimony to the fact that his hand was injured. And then finally, a testimony is telling someone about your relationship with God. And our focus, as you would guess, is going to be on that last form of testimony. A testimony speaks to our relationship with God. It speaks to what God has done for us through His Son. It's truthful. It's trustworthy. It's powerful. But even though it's all those things, the the mere thought of, of sharing our testimony with another person might be scary. We might even kind of recoil at the thought of sharing Some of us might think, you know, I don't have a testimony. Only pastors and and other super religious people have a testimony. Or we could say something like this, you know what, I've got a testimony, but it is so boring. No one would want to hear it. The truth is we often find excuses not to share 
our relationship with Jesus with other people. And I, I actually think I know at least part of the reason why we are often reluctant to, to share our testimony. It's because we've probably all heard some very dramatic testimonies. We like these intensely dramatic, big stories. You know, an example of such a testimony might speak of someone whose life was down in the pit. Their life was a disaster. They were losing a battle with an addiction. Their spouse may, and family may have given up on them. There was no hope. The entire situation seemed impossible. And then one night in desperation, they fell to their knees and they asked Jesus to save them. And Jesus lifted them up out of the mire. They were saved. Their life did a a 180 in Christ and their life was still hard, but now they had hope. And we hear that and we say, now that is a testimony. And my testimony doesn't compare. And I, I agree Those types of testimonies are amazing. Such a testimony can be life-changing for the people who hear it as well. But I want to share with you another testimony. And and I've heard many, many versions of this testimony. It, It goes something like this. I grew up in a Christian home. Growing up, my parents always took me to church. And then when I hit my late teens, I kind of stopped going to church. I still believed But Jesus wasn't the Lord of my life. I was more interested in having a good time, sleeping in and partying. And of course, I did some typical, stupid guy things. And then I met a girl, an amazing girl. We dated. We got engaged. (coughs) We realized that we wanted to get back into church. For one thing, we needed a church to get married in. And so we went back to church. And once there, something incredible happened. God got a hold of us. He began to change our hearts. Our hearts were softened. We wanted to know Jesus more deeply. And it it wasn't an overnight process. You might call it a, a slow, steady journey. And yeah, you know what? There were some detours. There were some bumps in the road. I recommitted my life to Christ. My wife gave her heart to the Lord. We were new creations in Christ. And over the past 36 years, God has continued to strengthen my faith, our faith. And He isn't done with us yet. We can't wait to see what comes next. And in Christ, we have life, an abundant life, and eternal life. That's my simple testimony. And I'm blessed to have such a testimony. And I share it to remind us that if we're Christians, we have a testimony. Your testimony might be very similar to mine. It might be different. But we need to share it. And the fact of the matter is our testimony is never boring. It's beautiful. It's wonderfully exciting. The testimony of the little girl in Carolyn's van was also simple and beautiful. It, it flowed out of a humble heart. It was spoken boldly, and it pointed, pointed to the truth of Jesus Christ. The little girl was testifying to the power and presence of God in her life. God helped her make it through a scary time, starting a new school. It was trustworthy, life-changing, and powerful. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us testimonies to your goodness and faithfulness. We pray that the words that we speak as we share our faith would point to the truth, a truth that the world cannot deny, that you love us, that you sent your Son to die on the cross for us, and that in Christ we have life today and for our eternity. Be with us this morning. Help us to be a testimony to you. Amen. If you were here last week, Pastor David spoke to us concerning the witness of John the Baptist found in the first chapter of John's Gospel. Now, this week could be kind of called a part two of Pastor David's message. John's Gospel is a book all about witness. It's a book of testimony to Jesus Christ. Three weeks ago, Pastor David shared the, the theme or the purpose of this gospel. Sometimes you would expect that to be found in the first words of a book, but actually, in John's gospel, it's not found until practically the very end. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, there it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this gospel as a testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ. And upon reading this gospel, John desired that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it's such belief in putting our trust in him that gives us life. Within John's gospel, within John's testimony, though, there is a testimony of another guy named John, John the Baptist. The first words from our reading in John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, say this, and this is the testimony of John. And of course, what follows is John's testimony. Like the girl in the in Carolyn's van, John's testimony flowed from a humble heart. It was spoken boldly and it pointed to the truth, the truth concerning Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to take a few minutes here to, to look at John's testimony. The, the scene there begins with a group of priests, religious leaders, sent to question John the Baptist. And the reason the priests came to, to question John actually is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 4 and six, four through 6, where it says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. John was kind of an oddity. I mean, the guy wore a robe of camel skin. He ate honey, which isn't so bad, but he ate locusts, grasshoppers. How many of you had a grasshopper for breakfast? Rusted. <laughs> he hung out in the wilderness, but John the Baptist had a message that was drawing crowds. It was a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was John's message and the crowds that it drew which caught the attention of the religious leaders. The priests sent to talk to John were really on a fishing expedition. 
They were sent to kind of get the scoop on this guy. They came with questions. And most of their questions had to deal with John's identity. And John's answers to those questions teach you and I what's involved in a truthful testimony. And the first thing we see is a truthful testimony flows from a humble heart. As John answered the religious leaders' questions, he made it clear that he was not the Christ, he wasn't the Messiah. The leaders then asked if John was Elijah. If you think about it, it really wasn't a bad question. In those days, some people expected the reincarnation of Elijah. And John's appearance resembled Elijah. See, Elijah was described as a hairy man with a belt around his waist. Elijah was a prophet who preached openly against sin. You can see how John the Baptist sounds like Elijah. The angel who announced John's birth said he would minister in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus would say that Elijah must come, and it actually had come. And Jesus was referring to John the Baptist. Now, John wasn't Elijah reincarnated, but he served in the same spirit as Elijah. He was a prophet. And John himself said, I'm not Elijah. And that led to the next question from the religious leaders, and it was, well, are you the prophet? And there's a key word there. They didn't ask if John was a prophet. They asked if he was the prophet. And the idea of the prophet came from Moses' words in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, which state, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own brothers. What the religious leaders, though, didn't understand that day was that when John said he wasn't the Messiah, he was actually also saying that he wasn't the prophet because the expected prophet was also going to be the Messiah. And so again, John humbly said, no, that's, that's not me. After more questions, John quoted Isaiah 43. We all know this. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. John's purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. He, he was a voice. But the religious leaders still didn't stop. They continued to ask. They said, well, then, John, why are you baptizing? See, they believed that the Messiah's coming would involve a cleansing, a a baptism. And John replied that he baptized with water, but a greater one was coming. And then John used that question to testify. The Messiah, Jesus, who would come after him, was so great that John said he wasn't worthy to untie his sandal. And we go, big deal. I'm not going to untie somebody's sandal, right? It's kind of a strange statement to us, but it actually made sense to the Jews. See, in those days, a disciple was required to do all kinds of menial tasks for their rabbi. But even a disciple wasn't called to untie the strap of the rabbi's sandal. That was the lowest of tasks. And yet John said he wasn't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. That's humility. A few verses later, John stated, After me comes a man who ranks before me. There's no pride in those words. But as you think about it and you read passages like this, so that's a picture of John, but, but there were other people there. What about the priests? What about those people that came to question John? What was their deal? And on the surface, we could say, you know, maybe they were just very sincere. We could put their question in a positive light. They really just wanted to know who John was. 
Sadly, that's an unlikely picture. Based on what we know from Scripture, the nature of the priest's question was condescending. It was arrogant. Their questions took the form of an interrogation. The priests weren't seeking answers. They wanted to report back to those who sent them that this John the Baptist guy was a flake. They hoped to write him off. They wanted to destroy his ministry. But their tactics failed. John the Baptist answered all their questions truthfully and with humility. And John didn't have to be humble. You know, if I'd have been John, I would have been very tempted to do this. John could have pointed out that an angel announced his birth. That's pretty important. He could have said, you know, I am the last of the Old Testament prophets. John could have told how the Holy Spirit actually empowered him while he was still in his mother's womb. John could have shot back with truth-based pride. But he didn't. He didn't. A trustworthy testimony flows out of a humble heart. And that should be a lesson to all of us. You know, when we talk about our faith, when we talk about Jesus, it's not about us. Our testimony is not supposed to make us look good. That's not its purpose. You know, if, if we think our testimony is boring, we might be being humble, but in a sense we're making that all about us. Because we don't want to be boring. Who wants to be boring? We want to have an impressive testimony. We want to share a story that really inspires people. We want people to remember our story. But if that's what we do, we're missing the point. I'll say it again. Our testimony, our story of faith isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And such a testimony speaks boldly. John answered the priest's tough questions with humility. But humility doesn't mean weakness. John the Baptist's words were spoken with confidence. They were spoken boldly. He was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Think about that. A voice is something that declares. John's voice spoke bravely of Jesus. John was very clear as his mission. He was to make straight the way of the Lord. He was preparing people to meet the Messiah. That took a lot of courage. That took a lot of faith to speak so confidently. A week ago, many of us watched the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And as if you were here last week, you saw I had my Chiefs hat, so you know I am a Chiefs fan. But I recently became a Chiefs fan. I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little bit of a bandwagon fan. And it's, I'm okay with that. But I'm not just a bandwagon fan. You see, I'm a Chiefs fan also because my daughter-in-law was born and raised in Kansas City, and she is a diehard Chiefs fan. I'm also a Chiefs fan because there are at least two people in their faith in Jesus. After the Super Bowl victory, if you were watching the game and stayed on to watch when they awarded the trophy, Chiefs chairman and CEO Clark Hunt said this, I want to thank the Lord for blessing us with all these incredible people to bring this trophy home. Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes had said in the past, he said, I understand that God has given me a lot of blessings in my life, and I'm trying to maximize them 
and glorify him. Both men are Christians. Both of them made bold statements of faith. I found another boldly spoken quote from a person who sang at the Super Bowl. And no, it wasn't J-Lo or Shakira. They might have been testifying to something, but it wasn't Jesus. Demi Lovato sang the national anthem. And I'm kind of a traditionalist, and I like the fact that she did it the way I'm used to hearing it. She sang it well. Demi, if you know anything about her, has faced tough times. And a lot of those tough times are her own doing. She's made a lot of mistakes. She admits those mistakes. And I found this quote from her. She said, I tried to seek God through other experiences, whether that's through other relationships or substances. I had to realize that the God that I'm seeking, the God that I love, and the God that I want to be my God is available 24-7, always at arm's length and constantly with me. After being baptized in the Jordan River last fall, Lovato said that she felt a closer connection to God. She said to be baptized in the Jordan River, the same place Jesus was baptized, she said, I've never felt more renewed in my life. These famous people aren't afraid to boldly share their testimony. We may not be famous, you and I, but we can speak with the same boldness as a John the Baptist, a Clark Hunt, a Patrick Mahomes, or a Demi Lovato, because we've got a message that needs to be heard. We've got a truth that needs to be shared. We've got hope that needs to be spread. And when we share it, it may not be well-received. Truth isn't something people always want to face. But we share it anyway, and our testimony must point to the truth. And the truth I'm speaking here is truth with a a capital T. It's the truth concerning Jesus Christ. In his encounter with the priest, John John the Baptist spoke of the greatness of the one to follow him. And at the end of our passage, John identified the one of whom he spoke. John chapter 1, verses 29 and 30 says, The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he went on and he said, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. See, John the Baptist made it very clear his mission in life was to point people to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Savior. And that's the goal of our testimony. Matt Carter stated it this way. He said, the great goal of the church is to point the world to Jesus Christ. He said, we gather on Sundays to worship him and to learn about him, but then we go out and we share him with other people. It's not an option of our faith. And the fact is, we might be clumsy with our words. Our testimony might seem really boring to us. But if we rely on Christ, we can do it. And if we struggle with sharing our testimony, if we struggle sharing our relationship with Jesus and what he's done for us, we simply need to practice. And we remember it isn't about us. What we might think was a poorly delivered, weak testimony 
can be used by God to change a heart. Commentator Richard Phillips provides the power of what we might actually call a weak testimony. Phillips wrote of a woman who met a young man who was moving into the apartment next to hers. And it just so happened that she was moving out of her apartment that very same day that he was moving in. It was going to be their first time meeting and the last time they ever saw each other. The guy was a good guy, and so he helped carry a box of books to the woman's car as she was leaving. And after thanking him for carrying her books, she asked whether he was looking for a church to attend. The man's body language made it clear that he did not welcome this type of conversation. And so she quickly stammered, Well, if you're ever looking for a church, I would recommend this particular church a few blocks away. And with that, she drove off. Phillips has said that he often